welcome to Cruel Summer Book Club, a podcast about change, how we get through it, and what we learn on the other side. I'm your host, Jillian Anthony. I'm a writer and editor and the author of the Cruel Summer Book Club newsletter, which is where I write about change in my own life. I hope you are all having a great week. Mine has been unusually busy, which I am trying to embrace after a couple of really slow months. This is, you know, that time of year that seems to barely exist. Halloween happens and you blink and it's a new year. But November and December hold some of my favorite annual traditions, so I'm trying to be as present as possible amongst all the craziness of this time of year. Since today's episode is focused a bit more on the spiritual and the mythical, I wanted to tell you about a book I read earlier this year. It's called Desert Oracle, Strange True Tales of the American Southwest by Ken Lane. I read this around April when I drove from California to Las Vegas and visited Joshua Tree for the first time. I spent a couple of solo nights in a yurt in the middle of nowhere And the first night, the wind was so intense, I definitely couldn't sleep because it was so loud, but I was also truly scared that my tent was going to fly away into the darkness. Luckily, that didn't happen, though, and I had a wonderful time. And on my many drives uh, to head deep into the park, to go on hikes, um, to see the Holla Cactus at dawn. Um, I listened to many episodes of his podcast of the same name, Desert Oracle. And it explores stories of UFOs and abductions and desert monsters like the Yucca Man, as well as the unique plants and animals of the desert, which are all true survivors. So if you want some slightly creepy bedtime reading paired with real stories of the people who make the Southwest so fascinating, I highly recommend Ken Lane's work. The coolest part was when I listened to his podcast episode talking about a huge fire that had burned a million Joshua trees. Then I drove by all of the burned Joshua trees on the left side of the highway for miles. That gave me huge goosebumps driving along that day. My obsession today is a really, really exciting one. I adopted a new cat. Her name is Dusty. She is nine months old and she is a foster fail, which means that I was fostering her and I decided to adopt her forever. She is my second foster fail in 10 years. My first being my cat Minerva, who I fostered then adopted in Brooklyn a whole decade ago. I'm super excited for Minerva to finally have a companion, and I'm loving watching them get to know each other and also freaking out about their fighting and hissing. Um, The kitten is very playful, and Minerva is, you know, a bit of an old lady, so it's been interesting. But there is no better feeling in the world than having two warm animals piled on top of your stomach on a rainy, chilly day, and that's definitely been my favorite part. Now let's get into today's episode, which is all about tarot, one of my absolute favorite self-care rituals. My guest this week is an author who has helped me deepen my own relationship to tarot and unlock my own imagination. She is a licensed social worker who combines the mysticism of tarot and ancient mythologies with the tools of psychology. 
encouraging us to approach change with all of our senses, even our unconscious ones. She is the author of the book, Tarot for Change, Using the Cards for Self-Care, Acceptance, and Growth, and also writes a Substack newsletter called Offerings, where she explores her insights on the cards using tarot pulls. Please welcome my very insightful guest, Jessica Dorr. Hi, Jillian. Hi. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so, so happy to talk with you. Thanks for having me. I'm excited as well. Uh, and uh, the first thing I always ask my guests on the show is, what have you been obsessed with lately? <laughs> yeah. Um, the first thing that comes up is like my garden. I, it's um, This is my second year having a vegetable garden. So I am like every moment is like so thrilling. Like I have these eggplants that are just starting to do this like slow motion explosion out of the flower. It's incredible. And the tomatoes, you know, you, you go out in the morning and they are like maybe just starting to get yellow. And then you come out at night and they're starting to get orange and just like seeing all the changes is really incredible. Um, so that's probably the biggest thing like gardening, growing food, um, and I mean, there's a lot of things I've been really excited about lately, actually, but that's probably the, the biggest, like most top of mind. Mm -hmm. That's wonderful. Um, I also started my first ever garden in the fall. Um, it was a long time dream of mine, you know, moving, being, I was in New York for so long um, and, you know, it wasn't there, I never had space to do so. And here I moved mm. into a home that just had a plot right outside my front door. <laughs> and what, and where are you now? Remind me what city I'm, I'm in Lansdowne, Pennsylvania, which is right outside of Philadelphia. Yeah. Okay, great. Mm -hmm. Great. Um, yeah, but that's such a pleasure growing your own food and, you know, learning what that's like, at least for me, it has been, uh, cause I just have never done it before. Yeah. It's really cool. And very like, it's a really, it gives you like a really deep sense of satisfaction that I think like I personally have, I mean, I love the work that I do and like writing and reading and learning things in that way, but there's something about like doing something that's very tactile and also like something that is tied to like, like literally materially nourishing your body. It's just like, whoa, you know, like you just start to ask yourself questions about what really is important and what really is is necessary um so that that's been a whole spiritual experience i think for lack of a better word that's wonderful um and of course i consider you to be someone who puts spirituality very high of an importance in her life um you know you what you write about is connecting with yourself and a collective conscious um, that is very spiritual, but of course, combining it with really um, practical and physical ways of being as well. Um, and I, you know, I, I love tarot. I've loved learning more about tarot through you. And I thought maybe we should just start um, talking a little bit about the basics of tarot for people who aren't familiar. Um, I just wrote some basic notes here that I'll just read through quickly. So a tarot deck is a 78 card deck that was created in the 15th century. Um, there's a major arcana and the minor arcana and um, the arcana translates into secrets. By the way, these notes are directly from your book. <laughs> so <laughs> you are my source. <laughs> um, there are four suits, wands, cup, pentacles, and swords. The wands are the suit of energy and fire, cups, the suit of emotion and water, pentacles, the suit of behavior and earth, and swords, the suit of intellect and air. 
Um, and the cards all represent a journey um, along the way, a personal and collective journey. So um, I just wanted to share that for people who aren't as familiar with the decks and, um, you know, give a, a base of what we're going to be discussing today. And is there anything else you would add to that, Jessica, about the, the basics of tarot? Um, no, I, I think, I mean, there's so much, it's, it's hard to, the basics is a hard, like, thing to, I always am like, well, actually, yeah, like, I want to tweak things, but no, I think, I think that's fine. <laughs> that's adequate for listeners who maybe just want, like, the basics and learning to get to in the weeds. <laughs> Yeah, of course, there's so, so much more than that. And also that's, I mean, like I said, I'm taking that from your book. So that is also your um, interpretation of what these suits might mean. Like, um, I've never heard anyone else describe the wands as the suit of energy, um, mm -hmm. but I love that. I I, I really love that um, way of thinking about how that's moving us um, through our own journeys. So yeah, that's your definition. And um, as we're going to talk about, I think that we both agree that tarot can be what, what you want it to be and what you need it to be. It's not um, a totally singularly defined thing, but we'll talk a lot more about that. Um, but yeah, your, your wonderful book, Tarot for Change. Um, I was so excited when your book came out last fall, but I was so excited um, hearing about you were going to be publishing this because I just found so much pleasure and deep thinking in your work um, through your newsletter. And you used to do a lot of offerings on Twitter and Instagram, you know, writing about single cards. Um, so maybe we could just talk first about like how you kind of decided, okay, this is a book and I have, uh, you know, here, I, there are things that I want to say in this form. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, well, I mean, the, the like short answer is that I, um, was contacted by a literary agent who was like, do you want to write a book? Um, and I was like, yeah. Uh, and I love books and I worked in publishing and always just have loved books my whole life. Um, so the idea of writing a book was very exciting to me. Um, but then, yeah, I think like through the course of the work that I was doing on social media, um, I think most notably maybe the daily card polls on Twitter, which is kind of like how I built a following um, for my little psychological interpretations of the cards. Um, that just like became this thing where people were like, you should make a book of these, you should make a book of these. Um, and I was hearing that repeatedly. And also, I guess, yeah, I thought it would be cool to sort of have a space where these um, interpretations could live. It's hard to, to like, it has been hard to do like interpretations in a book format because of the fact that a book it's sort of set in stone. And the way that I work with tarot is so processual, you know, like um, the way that I, like I could write Tarot for Change, which is a book of, it includes um, a, a set of reflections on or interpretations on each of the 78 cards, but I could write that book again uh, and it would be totally different, you know, like based on what I'm learning and exploring now, you know, in, in still in the psychology field, but sort of like different areas that I'm going. So it, yeah, I mean, the book format was tough, even though it was really exciting um, to think about having them all sort of live somewhere. But ultimately, I am glad that those particular interpretations, because they did encapsulate a particular period in my life and like learning that I was doing and things that I was really immersed in, um, that there's just no other, there's no, I wouldn't have written that book 
now, I wouldn't write it in five years. You know, if, if it hadn't been written when it was, it wouldn't have been written. And I'm glad that it was written because I don't think that there are other books that like interpret the tarot through those particular lenses. And um, that's kind of cool. And I feel proud of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so interesting because you know, as you write about uh, your relationship with the cards changes and what they reveal to you changes mm-hmm. as you spend more time with them. Um, so yeah, you're, you'll have a different interpretation of the cards in five years than you do then, right? Like that's, that's very interesting. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of the book, you know, you approach things from, uh, you have a master's in social work um, mm-hmm. and you approach things from uh, a therapeutic point of view, um, because you're very familiar, you started reading about different therapy forms when you were working at a publishing house when you were younger. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, it kind of, it seemed to, you know, dawn on you that these things were being kind of gatekept as far as like different forms of therapy, like CBT, ABT, DBT. Um, and, but they, they were practical things that all of us can apply in our lives to, you know, make better choices and make positive changes. Um, so it's, it's so interesting the way that, you know, you take your, um, educational background, clinical background. Um, I'm not sure if that's exactly the right word, but you know, you're applying these very practical, um, science approved, education approved ways of thinking about yourself in the world, but using these extremely mythical and mythological lenses, um, to talk about it. So, yeah, I and you and you write about how you know you've kind of existed in that in between space, um, and that's where you prefer to be. So, what does that mean for you? Like, why why do you prefer to be there, and kind of what do you hope your work looks like? Yeah, um, <laughs> another good question. I I think what it has meant for me to kind of be in that like in between space, like which was that, as you mentioned, I I came into the psychology field through like an unlikely avenue, which was um, getting hired to work as a, a publicist, um, actually at a self help and psychology book publisher, and um, I worked there for six years. And my main like um, projects were like clinical manuals, so they're like books for therapists. Um, and also workbooks, which are like books that therapists will give clients to sort of like, it's like a, it's like an intervention, but it's inside of a workbook. So there's different exercises and things that you might do in therapy, but you can like do them at home. Um, and so I just spent like a lot of time like learning about those things. But it, what was cool about it, I think, was um, coming to those books as someone who had no formal training in therapy or in psychology, um, because I think I was just able to like interact with and engage with the material um, from the edge, like just sort of being able to see like, um, I think when you when you train in something or when you're really immersed in something professionally, you kind of, you, you start to, if you develop specialization, you, you, it can be harder to see things on the periphery or it can be harder to see how, you know, you might be able to bring something in from over there or over here, something like tarot, for example. Um, so that, that's like what historically it had meant to me was just like sort of being an outsider um, who got access to information that um, I was able to use in my own life uh, and my own healing work just by reading the books and learning about them and having conversations with therapists and psychologists and researchers. And, um, and then, you know, I mean, it's been a, a journey for me of like trying to figure out, I, I say in the book actually, and this is again why books are so tricky, like 
I say in the book, you know, I really, I like this place where I am, you know, kind of on the edge. Like I'm not, I decided not to continue after I did go to graduate school to, to get trained as a therapist. Um, I decided not to continue to do clinical work. Um, and there was a lot of reasons for that. Um, but now I'm like today in this conversation, I'm, um, I'm actually like excited about getting back to do clinical work. And I'm thinking, you know, actually I do want to kind of go, go back in there and dig deep. And so, um, yeah, I guess it's just a winding road. Like I liked being in that. I think there was a lot that I was able to get coming into psychology through the way that I did, um, as opposed to like a lot of people come into psychology by like doing a master's program and that's sort of like the intro. Um, I mean, if we really want to talk about coming into psychology, we should broaden our idea of what psychology is because having, you know, mental illness or experiencing mental illness in your family or being in the forest and experiencing spirit and all kinds of things or doing dance or yoga or music, like all of those things are to do with psychology really. Um, so I, I don't want to be too narrow in how I talk about it, but I guess, you know what I mean when I say like coming into the psychology field. Um, my entry into the field and the professional field was unique and I'm really glad that I came in that way. Yeah, that's, that's great. Um, that's exciting that you're now thinking about going back into, uh, doing work as a therapist. Yeah, it's, it is exciting actually. And I, it took me a while to get to a place where it really felt, um, fully exciting because I've just had so many questions and, um, I've been writing about it a lot in my, in my Substack, just kind of the, um, the history of the field and some of the ways that some of the therapies that I've been really immersed in, some of the, the ones that you mentioned, CBT and ACT and DBT, like um, just the, 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 the theoretical assumptions and the ways that those therapies can be sort of used to like maintain social systems that um, benefit a few at the expense of the many. And I think that's stuff that has been really tough to grapple with. Like, how do you work inside of those modalities or similar modalities without sort of feeding into the same system that you really want to challenge? As for myself, as a social worker, I went into social work specifically because I was interested in, in social problems um, and like taking a sort of person in environment approach to healing as opposed to just looking at an individual in a vacuum and trying to like treat symptoms. Mm. Yeah, and tarot, I mean, from what from what I believe, like I can understand about how you approach tarot, it's it's that larger view of the world. It's it is individual work that you can look at and, you know, um, you know, think about yourself with, but it's also the story is of our collective journey together as well um, and collective experiences, physical senses and, you know, unconscious senses as well. Um, would you agree with that? I think so. I mean, I think, and, and one of the things about tarot that is so exciting to me is because it's, it's a book of images without words. I mean, some of them have titles, uh, some of the cards have titles, but like, because it's it is images it it really like is accommodating for like changes in worldview so like for instance when i was writing the book i didn't i wasn't really like thinking so much about um the relationship between like an individual or like an organism organism and like the community or like their environment or the world i was i was sort of thinking about okay there are like 
where yeah, I was just thinking much more about the individual because that's what I was kind of conditioned to to do through the types of therapies and just living in America um, and being the person that I am. Um, but as I've like started, you know, dipping into and learning about other ways of understanding the human experience, I've realized that that you know the, the minor arcana and the major arcana in tarot could also be looked at as kind of reflecting these these two like dynamics that are sort of always in process that there is like in gestalt therapy it's like the organism and the environment that like the major arcana are sort of these like these like larger environmental forces that we're sort of living inside of and then the minor arcana are sort of more to do with like okay you have a body you have like internal events that happen that are unique for you you have limits as an individual you have things that you like and don't like um all of those kinds of things and and they both are real and they both exist and then like how do we uh, start to understand their relationship. And that's what I think kind of where I am now. Um, and again, I, I love that tarot uh, can, can accommodate that worldview just as much as it can accommodate somebody like myself who was in a place of really just needing to focus on the individual um, in my own healing, just really like setting up boundaries and learning how to communicate and figuring out what I like and need and want. And those things are super important. Um, and there's also more to be said, um, which tarot allows for. Yeah, and in, in talking about how tarot has assisted you in your own healing and change in your own life, um, you know, I would just love to hear more about what your own tarot practice looks like. Um, you know, however, uh, however detailed or not you would like to be with that, you care to share, because um, you know, I have I have my own practice that I do, but I'd love to hear more about yours and how you approach that. Sure. Yeah. Thanks for asking. Um... Well, uh, when I started, I know you're not asking me about like the whole history of my tarot practice, but I feel, like it's, <laughs> yeah, I feel like it's sort of relevant to say that when I started reading cards for myself, um, I just would pull one card every morning and every evening. And that was just kind of like this like bookend process for my day. Um, and like I journal every morning, I've been doing that for years. And um, so I, you know, I would pull a card and then I would do my journaling and have my coffee and whatever. And then I practice yoga and do the things that I do go to work. Um, and that I did that for years, you know, just pulling one card every morning and every evening. And then um, somewhere along the way, I think I started just that started lessening. Um, just, I think, I don't know, my relationship with the cards changed and I sort of started like looking for the cards elsewhere like so here you have this like set of images and there are characters and symbols on them um and you can work with those and then kind of like go to books to tell you like say you have tarot for change which is my book um and you pull a card and then you go to the book and you look up the little piece of writing on it and okay cool somewhere in that process like i started um that kind of flipped where i was I was reading about things and seeing the cards in what I was reading. I think when you spend enough time with the images, you do start to see them in other areas and other places. And, and that for me was such a invigorating experience. Um, and is really where like my, a lot of my writing on social media, the book, like a lot of that stuff really came from that sort of thing of just me like digging into topics that I was really interested in and finding the cards there, you know, finding that um, discussions of, change uh, in, in any capacity were like kind of inside that wheel of fortune file or discussions about the body and like somatic experience were inside that empress file. Um, 
And, and that was kind of what it became that the cards were sort of this like filing system for ideas and things that I was learning. And um, yeah, and I don't, I don't know when it was that that actually like changed, but that's much more how my practice looks now. And so I sort of go, I feel like I go looking for the cards and I do, do it also with like folk tales and fairy tales and myths and stuff. I'm really into those kinds of things as well. And that's a great place to look because the characters are sort of there, like almost fully intact. There are kings and queens and empresses and um, like you get to sort of see them in, in context, like um, see how they move and what they do and just gives a lot more um, uh, texture to like say a card itself. Um, and so that's been really cool. So yeah, I do pull cards for myself occasionally. I pulled a couple cards for myself the other day and um, but it's, it's much less frequent and yeah, but I, you know, I have my deck of cards next to my bed and I like being able to just pull one. And so, yeah, I, I go through phases as well where I'm pulling a lot um, versus not pulling so much. That's so interesting. Uh, it's like, you're so in relationship with the cards, um, that, yeah, you're, you're no longer, it's not that they're telling you things. It's maybe that you, you already know, and you, you're, you're like asking them to kind of clarify, it sounds like, or, you know, I, I, the idea of filing is amazing to like, think of it and be like, oh, this relates to, um, the King of Pentacles in this way. Um, let me think about that more. Like that's, that's so amazing that you're so, you have such knowledge of the cards that you think in that way. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny to hear you say it like that. Cause I think, I don't think it's hard to get to that point. I don't think it's like, oh, I like studied and like poured over the, I mean, I did work with the cards for a long time, just pulling them and really getting to know them. Um, and I don't think there's any like substitute for that. Like if, if you're someone who's interested in like working with the cards in the way that I just described. Um, at the same time, like they're, they're images that are, I mean, depending on where in the world you are and like where you're situated, like, um, they're images that are for many people like very embedded in the popular imagination, you know? So like I said, Kings and Queens and um, the fool and the wheel of fortune, like these are, these are symbols and characters that already have like a lot of meaning, even if you don't know anything about them from a tarot book. Um, so it, you know, it, it's like a combination of things like just getting to know them and then you start to kind of see them elsewhere. Um, but I think that can happen relatively quickly if that's kind of like, if you, I think part of it is that people, at least in my, what I've like experienced and learned and heard people say is that a lot of people kind of um, trip over an understanding of the cards as like they have a set meaning and like it just means that and that's it. And that, and that it almost is unthinkable that you might like run into a character from the tarot in a, a movie or in a story or um, in a painting or something like that, or, or in like a religious text, um, but, but you do, and it happens all the time. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, um, I, I, that brings me to like a note that I just wrote kind of overall about, in, in your introduction to your book, you describe tarot as a book of 78 secrets that reveal themselves over time. And you say that tarot holds profound spiritual data, which I, I love that description. Um, and I feel like that like sums up 
your ethos of tarot, you know? Um, but I think something really important is that you, you say that to practice tarot, you don't need to have every knowledge of the card. You don't need to be super familiar. You just need to show up and mm. be with the cards and get to know them. Um, mm. yeah. And I, I think that I've definitely done that over the past, um, about three years I've been, I've been working with the tarot cards. Um, but I would, what does showing up with tarot um, mean for you? Or, or how would you um, advise people to, uh, what, what's a good practice for people to begin with? I know you mentioned pulling one card in the morning or something like that, but mm -hmm. is there anything you would suggest? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think like finding what works for you is the, is it, it's the easy and expected answer, but it is, I think the answer, I'm not a big believer in like, you know, muscling your way into something like tarot. If you sort of are like, if you have it in your head that you want to do tarot and that this is the way to do it, I, I would be much more inclined to say, if you find yourself like feeling like it's forced or feeling like, oh, I have this deck and it's collecting dust and I am, you know, beating myself up because I'm not picking it up and I should, then that's okay. And, you know, when I started working with the cards, I was like, so <laughs> excited to wake up in the morning and, and that's the type of person I am. I like, I love being up early and having coffee. It really is the coffee, I think, that gets me excited. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> or like in the evening, like I would be so excited to have, I think what was really exciting to me about it also was just like having that space to just be quiet and to check in with myself and to reflect. Um, so finding for you, like what it is about that that feels really like, emotionally resonant like for me it was that it was like the, the expression of care for myself that I, I wanted to check in with myself every day like I was in a time in my life where I really was lacking that and I like really needed to learn how to do that and so it felt really good it felt like wow I'm doing something for myself and I didn't really know how to do this before um, and I think that's at the basis of a lot of ritual you know if you think about doing tarot in sort of a ritual way like a thing that you do regularly I mean there's a lot of ways of understanding ritual but in like a popular sense um, you, we create rituals around like things that are emotionally resonant. So if there's an emotional resonance for you to do it at the full moon or at the new moon or on your birthday every year, you do a big 10 card spread and then you don't pick up your cards for the rest of the year um, or whatever it is, if it's every day or um, it's like finding that and like, and like forming a connection with that and like honoring that and being loyal to it. Mm -hmm. um, and that's gonna look different for everyone. Yeah, I I love that. Um, it's funny that you mentioned new moon and full moon because that's exactly when I usually do my tarot pulls. Um, mm. Yeah, it's not it's not a I don't do it every single time, but um, yeah, I I'll talk about my own practice a little bit for those who are interested. Um, yeah, about three years ago, I was going through a really hard time, and a friend and coworker, um, her former coworker, her name is Jen she gifted me my first tarot deck. Uh, and it was the Mystic Mondays deck, which is super vibrant and feminist. And I, it's still my favorite deck. I love it so much. Um, but yeah, I never really, I wasn't really familiar with tarot before that, but I started working with the cards and getting to know them. I, um, you know, I read a book, I went to a class on it once um, to learn a little more. And it has evolved into basically, I, sometimes I use, um, 
prompts from like uh, tarot tarot uh, Instagrammers I follow um, that give you kind of a, a poll setup where you can have different prompts. Um, but like for for my most recent poll that I did, it was a full moon poll. I was looking at the first half of the of the year, um, and I made my own prompts. I, I thought about you know what is important for me to reflect on right now, um, and I wrote on my own prompts, I, I did a poll, and then I journaled on each of those cards. And I do um, usually refer to, like Mystic Mondays has a notebook that comes along with it with some journal meanings and text. Um, like I am I am getting more, much more familiar with some of the cards, but um, I don't know like all of, uh, every, all of what everything means immediately, uh, which is fine. But, um, and then of course, this time that I did it, I used your book as a reference. So I went to, and I've done that several other times as well, but um, I used every card and I went to, um, you know, check, okay, what is it? I did my notes first and then I went and like reference it against your notes. And um, it was so interesting how some of your interpretations like so closely matched up with what I was writing about um, and what I had interpreted myself. So yeah, that was a really cool experience. Um, and I would love to just talk about that uh, reading with you a little bit if you're open to that. Yeah, sure. Let's do it. All right. So um, for this poll, you know, I really had in mind um, the, this, the first six months of the year for me were really full of change. I really focused on genuinely changing my life in recognizable ways. I wanted to make a more creative life. Um, I I'm a new freelancer. I've only been freelancing for about a year as a writer and editor. So I wanted to, um, you know, change my professional life, um, but make better habits, morning habits and night habits, um, were like a big one. I stopped drinking for, um, about 200 days. Um, so that was a big change. Um, so I was reflecting on all of that and also feeling like, um, Although, you know, the last couple of years I have, I've had a lot of positive change and I do feel I'm like on the right path for myself. And, and I, I know so much more about listening to myself and like what listening to the answers that are within rather than reaching outside for those answers. I still feel really overwhelmed by the amount of change that I know I still have left to do to kind of get where I really want to go. So that was kind of a lot of what I was thinking about. Um, so I pulled a guide and shadow card to kind of guide the overall reading and, and where I'm at. So the guide card was the nine of pentacles and the shadow card, which is judgment. And then I pulled um, a card to represent me, which was the two of swords, a card to represent the last six months theme, which was the 10 of swords, what I achieved this year, the five of swords, how have I held myself back this year? The Ace of Cups. What does full expansion look like for me? The Six of Wands. What do I need to release? Knight of Pentacles. The next six months theme, Justice. And my secret hope, which was the Queen of Pentacles. Um, so before I kind of ask you about your take on all this, like I said, I, I, I looked um, in your book uh, and also did my own journaling on these cards. I think that the main things that I took from this reading is that right now I need to celebrate and acknowledge how far I've come and really bask in those victories and give myself a real pat on the back rather than constantly being like, how can I keep improving? Okay, what do I need to do now? I'm, I'm not good enough. I'm not there yet. Um, and you know it's it's a good time for me to do that. And in a sum in the summer, I'm about to go on a long travel um, to Europe, which I've been working toward for years. 
Um, so it's like a really good time to keep perspective on just how far I've come and not how far I have to go still. Um, and I think that my secret hope, you know, it's, it's like, I'm just really yearning to be truly at peace, um, within myself and, you know, with, within work, within creativity, especially that's the one area of my life. I just never feel like I'm doing enough. Like I'm at peace with how I really want to be connecting with my own creativity. Um, yeah. So maybe, maybe you can tell me a little bit about what, what you're finding, um, with those cards. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, well, there's a lot here and it's helpful that you were that you used that specific format. Like generally when I work with someone, if there's this many cards pulled, it's it's a sort of an overwhelming task because it's like, okay, well, where do we even start? But because you sort of um assigned each card to like a concept, like guide, like nine of pen- nine of pentacles or yourself as the two of swords, um I actually, and the way that I read is uh, like, I sort of just ask questions. Um, I mean, of course I share ideas, but um, the thing that stuck out most to me was not uh, an insight or like, a, oh, wow, it, this means this, but more so like that two of swords that you pulled to signify yourself kind of seemed interesting to me and curious. Like, and for those who maybe know nothing about the tarot, the in the deck that I use, the two of swords is a person who's sitting um, with their back to a body of water and they have two swords crossed over their chest and then they have like a blindfold on. And so I would actually want to turn that to you and say, does that feel true for you in terms of where you're at right now or in what way are you connecting with that two of swords? I felt, so my kind of interpretation of the two of swords was that I'm still resisting change um, when change is so apparent and it's so apparent that it's what I need still. Um, I think that the resistance for me is coming up in like not, um, not really committing myself to like those few things I know I could do and should do to make a more full life for myself here in Austin, to be a more creative person. It's like, um, I'm like, I, I'm, I'm not fulfilling myself. I'm holding myself back and like, um, trying to do too much, spreading myself too thin, um, committing to these things that like really don't necessarily deserve my commitment. Um, Mm. yeah. How, how how does that sound? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, it makes sense that I think it's a lot less about how it sounds to me and a lot more about, and this is, I'm saying this to say like, just maybe to give a sense of like how tarot can go, that it it's these um, ideas about your own life that you're connecting with the image are the, are the thing, you know, that's, mm-hmm. that's the thing that matters. Um, and I like to see people able to make meaning from an image and it's, and that's exactly what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm also kind of like, thinking about the six of wands which is a weird card um and you have with the six of wands you had what does full expansion look like for me and the thing that's coming up for me with that image is something that i have written about before really i wrote about it around the time my book came out because it was like very resonant for me at that time um the image for those who are not familiar is it looks like sort of a parade like a procession um and and there's there's some people on horseback 
Um, and there's somebody with like a victory, like a wreath, like maybe a laurel wreath or something on a wand. And, and it, it's often read as a card about like victory, that this person, it's a victory parade. Um, but there's an interesting detail in the card, which is that there's like a person's face in the background that's sort of scowling. Mm -hmm. And I'd never noticed it until last year. I mean, I noticed that there was another person in the card, but I'd never noticed the particular look on their face. And so how that relates to your query and this question of like, what does full expansion look like for me? The question that that kind of asks is like, what in yourself is that sort of scowling face that you need to sort of be willing to bring along with you for the expansion? You know, it's like that part of you that's the inner critic or the sort of the internalized, even the way you were talking about allowing yourself to appreciate the, 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 progress for lack of a better word that you've made with all these different things that you've been working on like instead of feeling like you constantly have to be um like controlling and dominating yourself like you're allowed to be an imperfect person um so maybe that scowling face is sort of that part of you that you know wants to come along for the expansive activities but wants to judge you relentlessly about how you're showing up or say you're not doing it good enough or you're you're doing this wrong or that wrong you should be doing it this way but I would, I would, I would be curious to know for you what that scowling face. Maybe it's somebody else. Maybe it's somebody in your life. I don't know, or uh, a belief or something. Like, is there anything that comes up for you in like hearing that take on that card in that context of expansion? Yeah, that's so. That's very interesting. So my deck, um, the deck I'm looking at right now, in fact, uh, it's the Mystic Mondays deck, and it's a it's a woman like celebrating um, with a beautiful sun in the background. Um, and so I don't have the same imagery, but that it just makes so much sense with what was my main takeaway from this this reading, which was, um, you know, it's time to celebrate. And I I think with that reading of the scowling face, of course, that's me. <laughs> Like that's, uh, that's definitely just me, um, you know, wanting more and more and more from myself when actually I'm doing great, like I'm doing just fine. Um, and, you know, not taking the full time and space to recognize like, wow, it's been a really hard couple of years. I've done a lot. I've changed huge parts of my life. Um, and that's just like really come to roost lately. Like all the change has really just been weighing on me heavily. Like um, I moved to Austin over a year ago, but it really wasn't until the last three, four months that I really started feeling that. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I think that um, more specifically, it just might be that part of me, and this is what I've been thinking about so much too, that part of me that um, is just having a hard time that knowing that my life is very different now and things have changed a lot and you know I'm going to lose um, not only a place, but people, friends, um, youth, like all of these kind of big level things. Um, mm -hmm. so that makes a lot of sense. And that, that ties in, I think with your, um, justice card in the next six months theme, um, I've been writing recently about this concept of creative adjustment, which is an idea from Gestalt therapy. And it's in my understanding, which is very limited because I don't actually, I've never like been as immersed in gestalt as I have been in some of the other therapies, but I'm, I'm reading a book about it called gestalt therapy. And um, in the book, they're talking about creative adjustment. And I've seen elsewhere that it sort of is like the essential idea is like there's, you know, you're changing, your environment is changing, 
you're always sort of creatively adjusting to changes in the environment, but also changes in yourself and the environment also is adjusting to you. Like there's this like dynamic flow of creative adjustments that are happening between individuals and organisms at all times. And I think of justice in that way, like adjustment justice um, in, in the image in the deck that I use by Pamela Coleman Smith has a scale and a sword scale sort of weighing, looking at, okay, what has changed, what's here. And then the sword kind of being able to make a decision about the change that needs to happen based on that information. So it's like this real, it's like an image of presence, like really being super grounded in the reality at, at a given moment and kind of saying like, here's where I am, here's where the environment is, you know, I'm changing and now my environment is, there's tension because my environment is not necessarily um, supportive of the changes that have been made. And you have that secret hope of Queen of Pentacles, which I've, written a little bit in the book about this, but there's this model, uh, the stages of change, it's called the trans-theoretical stages of change model, where um, it's used in, in counseling settings and stuff, and it's kind of just to help people understand some of the stages that you go through when you're in the process of making a change. Um, and like the, just to give kind of like the brief overview, it's like um, pre-contemplation is when, you know, you're not even really thinking about making a change. Contemplation you're starting to think, you know what, I think something is not right right now with the way things are going. Then you're doing preparation, then action. These are the, the like uh, next stages. Um, and then after the action stage of change, which I would associate with the Knight of Pentacles, who's on horseback, um, then there is uh, maintenance. And maintenance is where you are just sort of working on creating an environment for yourself that is supportive of the changes that you've made. It's just maintaining those changes. And I've mapped that stages of change model onto the court cards. I talk about that in classes that I do um, where the pages, you know, who are sort of holding the, the pentacle, for instance, are contemplating change or thinking about it. And then the knight is preparing and acting because the knights are on horseback. So you can see that they're actually moving and you've been in that action stage. It sounds like just making a lot of changes, kind of ripping and running, doing all the things. And now, at a certain point, that no longer is the stage that you need to be in of constantly acting and preparing and doing the work. Then it, it, you reach a point where, okay, I've made a lot of changes and now how do I create a life that um, allows these changes to, to stay and to flourish and allows me to flourish? And I very strongly associate Queen of Pentacles and King of Pentacles with that maintenance stage because in the images that I use or Pamela Coleman Smith's images in the Rider Waite Smith deck, the Queen and the King are sitting in just like they almost are blending into their environments. They're like, they're very, they're like in gardens and they're wearing these like robes that have grapes all over them. And it, it, it's just, they're very environmental um, contextual images of like a person that's like really uh, in alignment with the environment that they're in. And so that comes up too, that you said, like your secret hope is like to have peace. What that feels like when your environment is kind of in alignment with your your values and your sort of like true wants and needs um, is powerful. And that image is really powerful for that, the Queen of Pentacles mm -hmm. and the Secret Hope, I love that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, this is the, the Six of Wands and the Queen of Pentacles is what I've got sitting on my desk here to look at while I'm working and doing things. Um, but yeah, I, I just wrote from your book, you know, you I believe you wrote something like um, envision your dream world, then choose how you'll create it um, for representing the Queen of Pentacles. And it's it's good. To, it's like a relief to hear you say 
you associate that car with the maintenance phase because I'm trying to be within the maintenance phase for like at least six weeks. That's where I'm trying to be, you know, just like allow myself to live here. Um, but yeah, and perhaps it's just my mind that wants more, more, more that didn't quite see it. I, I seeing it as more of like, it's your responsibility to choose how to act, to make that, to make that peace world, your world but I've already done so much to do so. So maybe it's just like, enjoy it, bask in it, rest, you know? Yeah, it's, I mean, I think where there's, where justice comes into, where creative adjustment comes into, it's like, sometimes, you know, there is too much, there is a point where you have to take a rest from the work of like healing or like whatever it is, you know, like you can't, we can't be like healing all the time. Like it's just not sustainable and it's not necessary. Um, and so that, that image of justice next six months theme, like justice is, is read by many people as being about restoring balance. And so, yeah, where there is, where you have gone far in one direction, it's time to come back in the other direction. But of course, with habits, with, you know, we get into the habit of working on ourselves constantly. And then when it comes time to rest, it's very hard because it's like any habit that you're trying to break, you you have this like psychic muscle memory that thinks that you have to be constantly striving and changing and growing and healing and doing all this kind of stuff. And uh, you will do that more, but you don't have to be doing it all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for contextualizing that for me and talking it through. It's so cool to um, hear you apply the cards to kind of what I'm thinking about. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, uh, you know, the next moon is coming soon. So maybe I'll, I'll do another check in soon, but, um, you know, my couple of ending practices I do with my guests, um, I always ask, what is a piece of art that helped you through a difficult time in your life? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I, I think about like, I, I live in a strange house where, um, (laughs) like there's no art on the walls. And part of that is because I haven't lived here that long and I also have moved a lot. And so I think I am not used to the practice of putting art on the walls because I've always sort of been ready to like go to the next place. Um, and the other part is actually just, and it reminds me of something my friend Javier, Javier Lopez actually who illustrated my book, who's an artist, has talked about her workspace is like, she doesn't have anything on the walls because she just like needs to kind of have like not like visual distraction Mm -hmm. and in some ways I even though I'm not a visual artist I feel that way like I kind of have so much going on in my brain at all times and I'm really in a book or I'm really in whatever that I kind of like I don't know I'm like not a big visual art person despite being somebody who works so intensely with images like as a living and like for a living with tarot so to the question of like a piece of art that has helped me through a difficult time, of course, the images of the tarot mm-hmm. have helped me through the, particularly uh, this past winter, I was working with a deck called the Visconti Sforza deck. Um, and it's like a conglomeration of different decks that were sort of like pieced together to create a 78 card deck from some of the like earliest known tarot decks in 15th century uh, Italy and Europe. Um, and I worked with that deck over the winter this year, and I actually just, uh, opened a few sessions, which, um, people booked, uh, of readings with that deck, because I generally only use the Pamela Coleman Smith deck. 
And those images really, I was going through a difficult time this winter. My book had come out um, in late October and it was just like a real time of like reflection and loss and like kind of a void that you experience when you've put something out into the world and it's not yours anymore. Um, and I like wasn't really expecting that. And I was using those cards a lot and they were really, they're very like moody and oily and there's a lot of gold and just like, they're big too. It's like a, it's like having a big, like, I don't know what. Um, so yeah, the long answer, that's probably a, usually a simple, simple question to answer, but that Visconti Spores a deck has been um, helpful for me in a difficult time in addition to the, the Rider Waite Smith as always. Mm -hmm. That's great. And it's, I love that different decks can truly serve different purposes and different attitudes. Um, I now have like six, I, there's really two that I use all the time. Um, the mystic Mondays is still my favorite. I just feel like I'm most in relationship to it. Um, but I actually recently bought, uh, well, I have, I have a cat tarot deck that like, I don't really use for real pulls. I just, I like looking at it. It's fun. Um, the modern witch tarot deck. I love that deck. Um, and I think it's like very visually stimulating. So yeah, it's, it's like, it's cool to hear that, uh, you ha you're in relation in, in different ways with different decks as well. That's great. And, um, what's a joy bomb in your life? What brings you a lot of joy, a self-care habit that you do often? Um, interesting question I feel like the joy bomb and the self-care thing are two almost like they're two different questions for me like a joy bomb the first thing I think of I have a puppy who's five months um he's like five and a half months now he's a joy bomb like a literal joy bomb he's like bombing around <laughs> and very like rambunctious at times and like troublesome as well but um <laughs> and mischievous but he's he has been really, really a source of a lot of joy uh, for me since I got him a few months ago. Um, and also like a lot of stress and he's been really tough too in a lot of ways. Um, and then the self-care, like I, what brings me peace is um, getting enough sleep. Like my circadian rhythm is like something that I do not like mess around with. I. <laughs> I've had a yoga practice, like a daily yoga practice for years. And for a long time, that was practice sort of second thing in the morning. First thing was coffee and journaling and tarot. And then second thing was yoga practice. And I don't do it in the same way now because I write in the morning, like I journal and then I write and then I practice yoga and do other various things. But um, having like routine and rhythm like circadian rhythm being more than just sleep uh like trying to do things at the same time like eating or like stretching um sleeping making sure that i get enough sleep like all of those things um that is what brings me peace like just having focusing on like the most simple like basic things and like making them routines like that just i've learned about myself in my early 20s that i like have to have that and when I don't it's it's trouble so um yeah routines especially around sleeping eating and like yeah 
anything really. I just love, I love a routine. I love knowing what to expect. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I love not having to make the decision about what I'm going to do first thing in the morning. I just do the same thing every day. And I really find a lot of like comfort in that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that is such a self-parenting thing and choice to do because we do we are such habitual creatures and that does bring us peace and helps our minds rest. And, mm. um, I'm like, I'm learning that, you know, this year I've, I've learned that a lot that just having those habits in place, it's like, Oh, this, I feel better about my life, my whole life <laughs> <laughs> and sleeping every night, having that golden sleep is, is really, it's not a small thing. It's the biggest no. thing in the world. So yeah, that's great. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I hope to keep working on all of those same very healthy habits too. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Jessica. It's been such, so incredible to talk to you. Um, and would you like to tell listeners where they can find your work? Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm on social media, Instagram and Twitter, uh, are my two mains, uh, and my names on there are just like the Jessica door T H E. Um, and then I have a website, jessicador.com and my Substack. That's my kind of big like piece of work that I'm doing now. And it's a weekly thing. Uh, it's also monthly. So I have a tier, you know, it's free for monthly offerings. And I've been doing those since 2016. Um, but last summer I started doing weekly offerings and those are for subscribers. It's like $5 a month, 50 bucks a year. Um, and yeah, there's, I do like written and audio versions. Um, and it's just sort of like, various things that I'm studying, which are generally to do with psychology, spirituality, like, yeah, that's like an <laughs> interesting word. Um, psychology, spirituality, like being human, um, myths, folktales, um, various things um, that are sort of being woven uh, together with images from the tarot. Um, so yeah, you can find me there on Substack if you just look up my name and follow along and see what's what's happening <laughs> yeah i love your offering so much um and they are on such broad ranging topics but always so um incredibly intellectual as well as like will make you feel a lot of things too <laughs> <laughs> great that's yeah. great to hear <laughs> And of course my book, Terror for Change. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, such a good tool for people wanting to get the, to get to know the cards in a deeper way for sure. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. And um, again, it was just so great to have you today. Thank you so much. And thank you to all of our listeners. Um, thank you for listening. If you like this podcast, please take the time to subscribe and give me a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps me reach more listeners. And you can find more of my work at cruelsummerbookclub.substack.com and follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Jilla Thrilla. See you next week and take care of your heart.